why. I love it. I mean, like, I don't, it just, I don't know if we're actually gonna start with that, but. Oh, okay. We're not. So we're not. We're not starting. We're just live. You're recording. Yeah, I'm. I'm live now. I'm recording. I have the live. I wish I could pop this soda can again. That sound was so fucking juicy and crunchy. Rip it and rip it, baby. Mmm. Thank you, Kroger brand seltzer water, for sponsoring this episode. Oh, see, I have a Coca-Cola zero sugar vanilla here. Oh, look at you, fancy motherfucker! You like your 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 sugary carbonated beverages, huh? Uh, it's you, zero you like... sugar, so. Oh, oh, so you like your non-sugar beverages like me? Except you you do have the other kind of non-sugar sweeteners in there still. Yeah, I, be I believe we've got some sweeteners still in here. Let's see, what do we got? What are we working with? Uh, some carbonated water, some caramel color. Some phosphoric acid, uh, natural flavors, aspartame, which I believe is a fake sugar, uh, potassium <laughs> yeah. benzo benzoate. Uh, oh, oh, specifically in quotes to protect the taste. What's it protecting the taste from? <laughs> it, it's uh, protecting the taste from your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> There's little gremlins in the can, and they're trying to steal the taste. <laughs> Don't let them take it. <laughs> There we go. And then some other nonsense beyond that. But yes, we have we have some sugar substitute in there. Well, sugar substitute is fine enough. Yeah. It'll get us through the day, which is all we need in life. Have you been have you been getting through days pretty okay? Yeah, I have. I have. It's been it's been weird, but I'm getting there. Yeah. How about you? It's good, man. Uh, I, I'm surviving. Uh, it feels really weird not working all the time, constantly, every day towards something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need to probably get harder working on my uh, Japanese uh, lessons and also uh, my, like, uh, teaching English in a foreign language stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have, like, a class that's uh, all of it is due in November. But, like, because it's due so long from now, I've kind of been slacking on it. Like, oh, I can work on the podcast right now. I can play some video games right now. My friends want to play GTFO, so I'm going to go ahead and not do anything useful. It's hard without any other structure, too, because it's like normally you'd be like, well, I just got home from work and I'm still feeling productive. Might as well do more work, but... Yeah, like, I would get home from, from school and be like, well, I'm just going to get my schoolwork done right now because fuck it. Like, I don't want to have to do it later. And and then, like, now it's just like, oh, God, I'm just going to play video games all day and be tired anyway. It's like I've eaten three bowls of spaghetti and taken two naps and don't know what I'm doing with my life. Uh, you know, I just had a bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm partially there. I'm on my way there. <laughs> two more to go. The yeah, night is still I young. <laughs> the night is young. More bowls of spaghetti are yet to entice us. Oh, should we do a quick sync here? Oh, yeah, let's sync it up. Johnny and David then proceeded to do the sync, something like an internet high five, but more for editing purposes. Anyway, back to the show. Well, should we should we dive into this? I was thinking that we might as well, yeah. Uh, how, are we, how do we want to intro this one? Uh... Do you think they know our names by now? Uh, no. 
Okay. Obviously not. They well, will never know our names. We have to keep reminding them. That's they're, a they're good like point. They're like fishes. Like fishes. Uh, I'm David Baxter. Yeah, and I'm Johnny Bartlett. And uh, this is the Bundle Bourgeoisie. That's the most confusing intro we could have possibly done. <laughs> You're the worst. It's the opposite. <laughs> I I just I went along with it because it was a good goof, but like come on, dude. Everyone's going to be so confused. Well, that's the goal is by like the end of the year we want them to really question who actually is who. Oh, I see. So, uh may- maybe this whole time we were just doing a big old goof. And actually, I was Johnny Bartlett and I was David Baxter. Uh, how how would the how would our lives change if that just suddenly became the case? Um, like inherit each other's lives or just names? No, just names. I don't think it'd change much. Yeah, no, not really. At, at the end of the day, so uh, hi everyone. My name is uh, Johnny, and uh, I'll be your host for today's podcast. Uh, my co-host here, uh, the the sub-host here, is David Baxter. So uh, go ahead and say hi. Uh, hi, I'm David Baxter. I will be he's, your host he's a sub. and your sub. He, yeah, he's 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 the uh, the non-dominant one. It's true. I can always get behind a good pegging. Well, on that note, uh, so uh, we do the humble choice podcast, uh, where we discuss all the different games that are offered with the humble bundle in the choice monthly subscription. Uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce those games now. Grid 2019 is the first. The King's Bird is the second. Men of War Assault Squad 2 is the third one. Uh, Remnants of Nazieth is the fourth one. The the, uh, <clears throat> the Messenger is the... What was that? Uh, five. One. Oh, okay, thank you. Five. That was the fifth one, everyone. High energy. Stillness of the wind is the next one. <laughs> You've completely given up on the numbering. Uh, Stygian Reign of the Old Ones is the one after that. Superland as well. Hellblade Asenua's Sacrifice. Felix the Reaper. Overload. And Borrow Trauma. Ooh, that's Johnny's last one. No, that's David's last one. What? What's both of our last ones? (laughs) And we do have some extras, yes. We'll get to those. All right. So, should I just go ahead and get started with Grid? Just dive right into it. Fuck yeah. So, Grid is the racing game that is on offer this time for the Humble Monthly. I've noticed that a lot of them have come from the same developer, which is Codemasters. They are the developers of the Dirt series, as well as the uh, F1 game that was featured in our very first podcast. Uh, And in fact, I I actually did go back to play it a little bit, because this game has a little bit of Formula One racing. I thought I'd compare it a little bit. But uh, going back, again, they also made Project Cars, and they are also making an upcoming Need for Speed game, which that kind of interests me. Uh, They are known primarily for their racing games, and this is a simulation arcade racing game uh, that's focused on, well, grid format racing, which uh, kind of like the idea of the the grid race is like there's people in front of and behind you, and you're constantly trying to advance uh, in the grid, in the placements. Uh, And in this one, it really isn't always uh, 
needed to get like the best possible position sometimes it's just like you have to finish in like the top half of the grid hmm. because honestly like advancing positions is not very easy sometimes i find myself like in the mini cooper races just like completely dominating and like advancing to the front of the pack really easy with a couple of undercuts and overcuts and drifting but like especially with like the really fast cars that like you can get lose control of super easily uh i find myself having some trouble uh with the handling because it, it's kind of a mixture of simulation and arcade where it's not quite like forza level simulation and it's not quite like uh i, I don't know maybe like blur level of silliness so it, it kind of floats in this uh, area in between there's no free roam exploration like in the forza horizon games or in the burnout paradise series it's just a hundred percent racing all the time uh there's a whole bunch of different ways to race there's like different sort of professions in the the racing campaign has a uh, touring race mix uh stock which is like muscle cars uh, a tuner races which is all modified cars gt races which is like grand tour which are high speed cars that go long distances and invitationals which are all like very specific uh cars like the mini cooper uh that you kind of get uh given to you as you enter the race um there's a lot of events to to choose from there are like three additional seasons in addition to like just the base level events that i've already mentioned uh so there's a lot of kind of content to go through but it is uh a little bit recycled uh you know to to use a phrase that the game threw at me a lot they, they, they cut some corners here uh, <laughs> uh it, it seems like they're using a lot of the same tracks and uh it, from what i've seen actually some tracks from like previous games also but not even as many tracks as like the previous games have had in the past it, it, there's like less total tracks than there are in like grid grid autosport or grid 2 which by the way this naming scheme for just autosport games it's completely bonkers they have the first one just called grid the second one grid autos or no i think the second one it might be grid two the third one grid autosport and then they were like fuck it let's do another reboot this one's just grid 2019 <laughs> i i really hate it when games do this just call it grid four it, it, they gave it the whole doom treatment <laughs> they did they really did uh and like the hitman treatment with like hitman two and three now coming out soon uh, anyway, we're getting off track a little bit. So there are a couple of unique mechanics to this racing game uh, that are not in other racing games. Specifically, even in the other franchise, there is not a nemesis mechanic that's unique, where uh, if you bump into somebody too many times, then they'll become your nemesis, and they'll start ramming into you whenever they have the opportunity to, and just body checking you. And <laughs> it's really funny, because like, I, I play this game kind of like I play Burnout, which is to say not correct. Uh, I kind of smash into people a lot and uh, really try to play aggressively in order to get first place. And I have had races where basically every single person behind me wants my ass dead. And I feel so funny just zooming past them and just seeing like this sea of red right behind you, knowing that if you slow down too much, then they're going to body check the hell out of you. <laughs> it's kind of a cool mechanic. Uh but it is a little annoying also. I, I was surprised to find out that in multiplayer that the nemesis mechanic is also there. I, I thought that, that it wouldn't be there, but surprise, surprise, uh, it just shows up. Like, oh man, this guy's your nemesis, and you can choose to care about it or not care about it. But the AI cares about it. They, they mess you up. Uh, 
<laughs> and speaking of multiplayer, uh, the multiplayer wasn't really all that extensive. Uh, it seemed like a lot of fun. Like from what I played, uh, it was like you make one mistake and you're out of the race, basically. Uh, really intense, really, really fun. No retry mechanic in the main game. You can like press uh, Y or triangle to sort of go back in time to retry something uh, if a turn was poor. That way you can kind of like get into the game even if you're not very experienced in racing games. But uh, when you're online, it doesn't exist. So it's a lot more intense. The thing is, the matches also take like forever to set up. And there were two matches total when I went to look earlier today. Oof. And that was after the Humble Monthly release. And this is in 2020 when the game was released in 2019. I do not think that is a good sign, personally. Uh, it has some mixed reviews on Steam, and I kind of get why, given that it seems to be like the uh, the black sheep of this particular franchise. There are better entries, even in the own its own franchise. I, I, I realized I didn't even know it, but I had Grid 2. So I went back and I played a little bit of that, and I had a lot of fun with it. There was a lot more customization options for your car. You were actually able to like kind of make it your own, and I actually felt like the cars that I did purchase were my own rather than just like things that I was given access to for certain races. Uh, and also, it had like a an interesting idea, a conception to it that like um, instead of just like these random events that you're sort of uh, going into, and there's no like real progression other than like sort of an abstract esoteric leveling up system the the grid 2 has like this uh popularity mechanic where like you you do races to get more fans to get more money uh to get even more fans and like there's an achievement to get have more fans than taylor swift Holy uh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> so i just kind of like that conceit a little bit more and it's more enjoyable to me also it just runs way better uh grid 2019 has like an 80 gigabyte download file Whereas, like, Grid 2 is, like, 16 gigabytes. That's insane. Yeah, so, like, I, I for that reason alone, I'm probably going to, like, play a little bit more of Grid 2019 and then going to uninstall that shit forever because it takes up too much space. Yeah, that's just unnecessary. I mean, kind of necessary. Like, how does it stack up graphically compared to the other one? Well, it doesn't run as good uh, because it's uh, probably a little bit newer and I think it has a little bit more uh, of like a damage model thing going like it carries the damage that your cars take between rounds uh in, in an event and uh i don't know if that like affects it at all but the performance was definitely a lot worse especially when i was uh recording uh when i turned off the recording i had a lot better of a time with it uh and playing on medium but even then uh i still feel like grid 2 was just a more enjoyable experience even though it was uh from what i can tell the most arcadey of all of the different uh, <laughs> racing sims. Which I, I don't know if that just says something about my personal tastes in racing games. I, I'm a big fan of Blur, which that game is like Mario Kart, but with like real cars, and it's so much fun. Uh, I I love just like that kind of goofy off the wall, but like still with real weight and physics. Like yeah. I, I don't know that 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 that's really kind of baller to me. Like Simpsons Hit and Run. Oh, dude, don't even get me started on <laughs> Simpsons Hit and Run. I started out, that was like one of my first real racing games that I got into. Uh, the very first one was actually Driver on uh, PS1. That was the very first racing game that I ever really got into. And you couldn't even get out of the car in that one. Dang. You were just stuck in the car. <laughs> uh, anyway, though, 
Uh, this game is a hesitant recommend. I'd say that it's good enough for this pick uh, on the bundle cycle. If you're looking for a just pretty fun racing game with meaty physics, uh, the the drifting, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but some people call it a little bit like icy, but I, I really enjoyed drifting in my games. So I really enjoyed that part of the gameplay and the physics actually. So I think that this is a... a uh, a good pick, but there are better racing games out there. So if you're looking for something more realistic, maybe go for something like Forza uh, Horizon. Maybe even go for a different uh, game in the Grid franchise if you were looking for uh, something to run even on a lower-end uh, regs and stuff, such like that. Fair enough. So uh, I I really did feel like a king at the end of these races. Uh, when I was really just lapping up these dogs and just going up <laughs> right into first place, it really made me feel like a king. Well, uh, speaking of kings, uh, our next game up is uh, The King's Bird, a game by whoa, whoa. Serenity Forge. Uh, they they also did a Cyanide and Happiness game, a game called Never Song, and a couple other games. Wait, what? They did a Cyanide and Happiness game? Yes, a Cyanide and Happiness game. I I cannot attest to the gameplay, but it looked kind of silly and cute, so... Okay. Just the fact that there's a Cyanide and Happiness game out there that I didn't even know about is pretty chill. I, I've played, like, the different board games that Cyanide and Happiness put out. I never realized that they put out a video game. Yeah, there's okay. a whole-ass video game. <laughs> Whoa. By the same people who made the King's Bird, so it's probably a game that will take four hours of your life to get past one mission, and you'll feel kind of incomplete afterwards. Oof. Um, but Oof. anyways, uh, we'll get into this. Uh, it the the King's Bird is a uh, Twitch-based reflex platformer, and and by that I mean it's it's a platformer that requires like precision jumps and and quick reactions while you're moving through the level. It's uh a very visually stunning game and it's it's centered around you have two core mechanics one is like a dash ability and one is a fly ability so everything throughout the game is solved with these two abilities you either like fly through different areas or you dash to build up speed to jump over things um it's it's really straightforward there's not a lot to it but the storytelling and the environment is ex like the storytelling is exclusively told through the environment. So there's no cutscenes or anything. There's no direct story. There's no really any information given to you as a player other than like there's some tapestries on the wall and you can look at the tapestries and get a kind of idea of this history that exists in the game. I was gonna say, did you feel like connected to the world at all by like that in kind of environmental storytelling? Or, or did it distance uh, you from it? It In this case, it really distanced me from it. I, I didn't feel like there was enough pulling me in to keep me, like, focused and engaged and interested in this world. The tapestries were, like, so far and few between that I, I didn't really have any sense of what I was doing in the world. And the the overall gameplay and the world itself didn't lead any real reason for what you're doing other than just you as a player are solving some puzzles basically so it, it there was this real disconnect that i felt and i just i was having a really hard time getting into the game because of it so mm. it, it it was definitely a struggle in that sense and it, it seemed like there was a lot there in the sense of the world they 
there was this sort of like mythos with the gods and the people praying to them constantly and like leaving objects for worship uh and all the levels are named after things like abandoned market and the caves and stuff so you got this feel of the sort of like something bad happened in this world but they they never really tell you what it is or at least as far as i got and getting further than what i got was really uncompelling based on how little i i felt about the world and the gameplay to begin with it was it was probably like 30 levels roughly between entering an area and leaving an area and in those 30 levels there was nothing to be found other than like this background looks like a ruined city so and it i i i do want to like stress that like visually the game is beautiful and the the movement mm. and the flow and the the mechanics itself felt really good it it was it was challenging but not like terribly frustrating and the the way everything flowed together and in some parts you just you felt really good playing because like you were you were dashing through this area like crazy fast speeds jumping over spikes flying down pits and then like using there was a lot of moment using of momentum to increase your speed and and get around the map and so it felt fun to play but it just it, it wasn't compelling enough to stick around i i when I got through the first zone, uh, I got an achievement for clearing the first zone, and only 9.9% .9 of other players who had played the game even got past the first zone, if that's any indication of sort of how unengaging the actual story and the world was. Man. Um, so I, I find it hard to recommend this game. Uh, it it seems like the kind of game that would be really great to play if you like got high before it but the because it's a twitch based platformer getting high and playing this game would just feels like it'd be more frustrating than fun so okay can i possibly throw in the idea that maybe this is the type of game that is meant to be played while high watching a speedrunner i absolutely agree with that probably yeah if, if if you could find a nice sherpa to play the game while you were while you were high oh absolutely i <laughs> i can imagine that like the visuals are engaging and like watching the character fly across this world at high speeds would be incredible just, so that <laughs> just to have a sherpa take you on that journey i like the analogy <laughs> that you use <laughs> taking you to the heights so, of the himalayas <laughs> That's my recommendation is find yourself a Sherpa and a nice joint to enjoy. Uh, but I wouldn't actually waste uh, a subscription or a bun like uh, one of your choices on it. Well, especially because like, I don't know if anyone else picked it up. We threw it in our discord, but there was the, um, the bundle for racial equality on itch.io that happened recently where you could submit like as much money as you wanted with a minimum of $5. And then you would get like over a, thousand indie games and uh this happened to be one of them so yeah uh you also potentially have the ability to play it that way instead if you uh don't want to get it this bundle cycle yeah and the reality is it, it it feels more like a piece of art meant for viewing rather than a game meant to be played mm -hmm. you know and like some games are like that which is kind of unfortunate but i, I still think that they're they have a place
Oh, absolutely. There's still there's still merit for it, you know. Not not every piece of art is a Picasso, I guess, right? I, I do feel like I've seen like this type of aesthetic before, though, like a bunch of times in a bunch of different indie games. Which I don't know if it's like a huge knock against it, but just like that sort of platformer with like all silhouettes that like yeah, I don't know. I've seen it. Yeah, it it wasn't really special in that regard either. Yeah, you know what else I've seen a lot of before. Um, war. Yeah, it's all over the place. Specifically, World War Two. What's up about that, huh? What What's up with the World War Two thing, where all of the games for a long time were all about World War Two? Uh, normalize the idea of a mass scale war so that you can justify doing it at any time. I suppose so. Kind of like the glorification of patriotism and the idea of the of sacrificing yourself for the sake of the country. Exactly. Yeah. So Men of War Assault Squad 2 is... <laughs> <laughs> is a uh, RTS game uh, made by the people who made the first Men of War game and Call to Arms, also known as Digital Mindsoft. This is a RTS game with a focus on individual soldier management. So if you've ever played Company of Heroes, that game kind of operates like each uh, regiment you control uh, as the each, you know, sort of squad, and you don't control them individually. In this game, you control them individually, and they each have their own health, uh, their own inventory. They have... Oh. <sighs> All right. I'm gonna put away that line. <laughs> Switching the the drink there. What was I saying? Yeah, so it's an RTS focused on individual management, as opposed to Company of Heroes. Uh, it has all of the DLC in the humble version that comes with this particular bundle cycle, which is pretty cool. There's a lot of content if you're into this kind of World War Two uh, RTS strategy game. This isn't exactly my favorite type of game, but one of my first pc games ever was company of heroes so after a while i did start getting into it and did have a good time with it but i have to say i nearly just threw this game in the garbage right away because the first thing that this game throws at you if you go start game is a stealth mission and <laughs> i have never played a good rts stealth game not once i i can't think of a good rts stealth game and it's just not fun to play stealth like eventually you have to get spotted and then you get overwhelmed and i just don't know what to do i like i don't, I don't have the brain i don't have the brain cells and i don't have the, the clicks per minute i don't have the starcraft skills you know and like these games really stress me out because there's so much going on and like you can't pause it you know like I, if i was just able to like pause it at any point so i could be like okay thank god okay now you go here you go here you go here you defend this you reload this you like and and especially because of how much individual inventory management there is where you can like loot dead soldiers and stuff like that and and take their equipment and you can also uh, uh find like random uh enemy tanks and stuff that have been destroyed and then you can repair them and use them for yourself uh you know interesting mechanics like that but i don't know Be especially because like the tutorial mission starts you off like, well, first of all, the tutorial is kind of hidden under bonus missions, and all of the tutorial text under, like, the bonus stuff in, like, the main menu 
is just completely broken. Like there's it doesn't work. <laughs> there's no way to like learn the game through reading. You have to just play it and figure it out now. Um which does kind of suck. But there's a lot of different scenarios from uh, assault to defense to the stealth. And uh you can play as a bunch of different factions from the Japanese to the Germans to the Russians, blah blah blah. But the thing is, uh, what I realized this game is really all about is that it's been out for six years, and it has really good mod support. So, people have made almost full conversions, for, not, not almost, complete conversions for this game, where, like, you can play through, uh, for example, Call of Duty missions from an RTS perspective. Which, that, that's insane. It blew my mind, because I was, like, playing through, like, Call of Duty 1, like, all gillied up, and I, I, I could play through uh, the mission that was, like, uh, Homefront, in uh, modern warfare 2 that was like everything is like modern and like uh, which is such a shock going from world world 2 to like the modern day and like everybody has like you know all the the modern equipment and such and like you're fighting in like a residential area in a suburb basically um it's just like it's so interesting to see campaign missions that you're used to seeing from a first person perspective shown from a completely new perspective and then from like, I, I can just like two seconds later, flip the mod off, turn a different mod on, and now it's Star Wars. <laughs> to flip the mod off, turn a new mod on, now it's uh, Warhammer 40k. Flip the mod off, turn a new one on, now it's colonial era combat with horses and muskets. <laughs> That's awesome. It, like, it's actually really cool how like endless the modding scene is for this. And I, I really think that if you're the type to get into that sort of thing, then you will really enjoy this game. They, some of the missions were pretty finicky, uh, especially the mod, modded missions with, like, the mission objectives being, like, you have to clear out every single droid. And then I'm looking around, looking for, like, every, the fucking last little droid that's hiding somewhere that uh, I can't fucking find in order to advance the mission. <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. <laughs> that that's like kind of weird and janky but if you can bear with it it's just really cool to have one game that becomes so many different genres uh, and i really didn't expect that going in i i honestly expected this to be kind of garbage and to me not really like it and just kind of bounce off of it but i i did bounce off a little bit but not nearly as as fast or as hard as i was expecting because of all the modded stuff and the other cool features that's awesome yeah, so if you like military RTS games and you want to have uh, fun with the base game or fun with some mods, then I'd recommend it. But otherwise, uh, if you're not into that kind of thing like me, uh, this is a safe avoid. So uh, you, you do a lot of avoiding in a lot of different games. I don't know how to fucking... <laughs> uh, that, that's okay. I'll, I'll pull something out of the remnants of that segue. Oh! Uh, speaking of remnants... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the remnants of Nazith, uh, Nazith. I I don't know Who how knows? to pronounce this word. Who knows? I, I'm going with Nazith. Uh, it's a game from Tolga A. It is a the second of the Twitch-based Reflex platformers this month. They really hit those games hard. Yeah. And uh, this was another one that I found uh, is sort of lacking. It, th th there's not much story-wise. What little story there is, it's about, like, a dragon who died and scattered his remnants everywhere. Uh, spoiler alert, the dragon's name is Nazith. Mm -hmm. And 
your cute little explorer boy finds one of the remnants of Nazith and is given a weird dragon claw grappling hook. And so, like, there, there, there's some maybe themes about, like, power and the way it corrupts and exploits, but it's literally just in the opening cutscene to justify the mechanic, and that's it. <laughs> Mainly, it seems like it's, uh, oh, cool story here, wow. Now you're Spider-Man, go jump. Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what this game was. It was it was Spider-Man the game, the spe- Spider-Man the speedrunning game, really. Yeah. And the the game, though, it, it had this really cool mechanic. It was built around speedrunning almost entirely. So you could tell the developers, like, wanted to focus on this sort of, like, reflex platformer that was heavily ingrained in speedrunning culture. And you you're, you have one core mechanic, and it's to grapple. And so you're, like, swinging across the levels, avoiding spikes and stuff. But every level has a leaderboard for times, and every leaderboard was cleared like in seven seconds or less by the top person. Of course, and uh, it's nearly impossible to break that record. Even attempting it feels like a foolish errand. My times were like 32 seconds, and I felt <laughs> like I was going as fast as possible in those levels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it always is with those like precision platformers. Like I played Dust Force, and it was the same way. I enjoyed that game uh, for a while until it got too hard. But, like, always looking at the leaderboards was just like, ah, oh, I'm a failure. It's so soul-crushing. And even, like, the little animated, like, silhouette dude that shows you how to go through the level was going, like, six times faster. I couldn't even keep up with him. So I'd get to a part and go, oh, guess I got to figure it out because the, the tutorial dude's beaten the level already. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how fast I'm supposed to be going? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, like, just, like, micro pixels of, of differences in where you hit your your grappling hook changes, like, the velocity of your character so much that, like, it, it's insane. So, and they, like, but the game has, like, a desica- designated, they have the, the campaign mode, and then they have a designated speedrun mode, too, that's literally oh. just, like, fly through it as fast as possible. Hmm. Um. And it felt it felt really good. The movement and the reactions were really tight, and everything felt like it was responding appropriately. And I only felt bad at the game because I was bad at the game, not because, like, oh, the mechanics suck, and I missed my grappling hook again. It was just like, nah, I suck, and I'm slow. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, at least it felt like the reason why you were failing was because of your own ineptitude rather than the game's controls. Exactly, because I don't have the reaction time of... 16 spiders that have been genetically modified all to pounce on the same prey. I, I, I don't even know a metaphor to describe these kinds of games. It's insane. <laughs> like a robot designed uh, to execute everything perfectly, like in Horus. Oh, yeah, we have robots. That's right. Yeah. Robots. Well, yeah, I'm not a robot. <laughs> it it takes, it takes, like, little microseconds for, for the... For the little electricity to go from my brain to my hand to say push button, so. And then, like, if it's a wireless controller, then it takes an extra couple of seconds for the the thing to get. Exactly. And then you can blame the so wireless. So I didn't suck controller. at the game. It's just the controller. Yes, yeah, blame the controller. At the end of the day, that's the lesson we've learned. My my only complaint, speaking of controller, is that there's a button on the controller to reset the level. So that, like, if you're not meeting the speed time that you want to get, you can just press a button to reset the level. Uh, But the crummy part is the button was B and the jump button was A. 
So the amount of times I'd accidentally press the button to restart the level when I meant to jump was astronomical. I hate that. I hate that. That is like one of my pet peeves as a PC gamer, especially when I'm playing games that were designed for consoles. Like, just use a different button. I don't care. Right? Just... Like, if I'm restarting the level, I don't need to, like, slide my finger over real quick. It doesn't have to be that fast of a motion to reset the level. Uh, But that's that was, like, my only real complaint about the game. So if you really love, like, Twitch-based reflex platformers and you're into the whole, like, speedrun culture, I, I think this is a phenomenal game for you. It, it's not for me because I have dumb little Neanderthal brain and reflexes. So, and and we all know I prefer games that are, like, engrossed in story that tell me how to feel and how to, like, destroy society from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So, it's, it's, it's not my game, but if you're into it, then it's definitely... I, I could see people enjoying it more than, like, Super Meat Boy for the kind of thing. Oh, really? It's designed for, yeah. I think it's, like, on that quality. Absolutely, okay, yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty sick. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's great, and I think it has, uh, you, you really feel like a messenger of the genre? I mean, like, that was one way to send off that, <laughs> you know, and just, I, I feel like I'm bad at segues, and then you throw a segue like that at me, and it's like, well, how, how do I even pick that up? All right, the messenger's <laughs> up next. Uh, <laughs> it is the very first debut game released by Sabotage and published by Devolver. So this is the Devolver game of the bundle. Uh, this actually won uh, Best Indie Debut of 2018, which mm. I totally think is warranted. This game is badass, quite frankly. It is a Ninja Gaiden-inspired retro uh, platformer that eventually also becomes a Metroidvania. Uh, it, if you like, were to take DuckTales and say, all right, that ended up becoming Shovel Knight, then you take Ninja Gaiden, this ended up becoming The Messenger. It, it, the idea is it's taking like the sort of retro aesthetic and the, the idea... The, of the platforming and then updating it, getting rid of all of like the lives and continue system that are outdated, making it uh, a lot more accessible to a modern audience and also just like really easy to pick up, play and enjoy. Uh, the writing is just hilarious, by the way. Uh, like from beginning to end, this game had me like engrossed and laughing and like it breaks the fourth wall a lot, but it usually feels warranted because this game is so much a game about, like, these older kind of NES games that, like, when it kind of does these in-jokes or these little gags, it never feels like, oh, man, where did that come from? Because, like, the, the idea of the game is that uh, at the very beginning, you're given a scroll and you're told, like, uh, here, like, by the hero of the story, like, the real hero... Like, here, deliver this scroll. You seem like the most competent person here. And you just go, and you're delivering the scroll, and that's the beginning of the game. You're the messenger. But then you find out through the game, and this is kind of spoiler territory, that um, the messenger is, like, a system. Basically, like, once the messenger completes their quest and delivers the scroll to the top of the mountain, then they uh, become, like, a time traveler, 
and then they can go around and like solve different problems but then they also become like the like the shop clerks and then like the things that like you have been interacting with up until this point and you realize that like everyone that like is telling you to do things were also messengers at some point and that they could be doing the things that you're doing but that they just choose not to because they're lazy <laughs> one of the most critical parts of the messenger that actually makes me want to go back to play it which for one is the soundtrack the soundtrack is amazing and i love it but for two the motherfucking devil asshole that follows you around every time that you die in that game is genius <laughs> he replaces like the lives and continue system by uh becoming just like this little devil that will uh follow you around anytime that you die and take money from you until he either has enough money to fulfill his quota or he just gets bored and leaves and he insults you every time that you die i i, I shouldn't say every time there's one time that he says good job messenger just so that in the text after that he says he, that he doesn't only say negative things about you <laughs> That's literally the only reason why he ever says anything positive is so that you can't say he ever says everything negative about you. Anyway, um, yeah, I just, the messenger is fantastic, and I, I felt like I would be actually doing a disservice to that game if I didn't mention it. <laughs> and there's something about, like, just being this, like, uh, kind of uh roguish ninja that doesn't really want to be a part of the clan just being like roped into all this different shit like the comedy of that is gold i i love uh all all of that uh <laughs> and uh make sure that when you play this game if you find a cabinet you don't stop trying to click on the cabinet ever or anytime that there's an alteration to that sequence you try to continue it to infinity because there's like these long lectures and rants that you can make the shopkeep go on uh <laughs> that's just like makes you realize that there's little like secrets and fun things around like every corner of the game uh to kind of explore and have fun with and the developers really seem like they were having fun with the game and including all of these tiny little things but to sort of bring it back to the actual minutia of the platforming and the mechanics it's really precise and snappy and satisfying uh, the main mechanic is called cloud step uh you gain an extra jump if you hit something in the air uh which makes it so that movement is very like skill based. You have a rope dart that you can use to like latch onto something and then uh you'll like move towards it sort of like the the get over here but in reverse where you're getting over to them. Uh and then you hit them and then you can uh, get cloud strike from that. And so you can kind of get into these long chains of just like hitting enemies, jumping, uh, rope darting, hitting enemies, jumping, jumping, and certain bosses require that, like, level of staying in the air and not going down to the ground. Because uh, there are lots of bosses in this game. I'm kind of jumping around a lot, but this game kind of jumps around a lot a little bit, too, at least in the beginning, where it's just 8-bit, and then uh, as soon as you beat a couple of different bosses and advance through a couple of different areas... You teleport through time to the 16-bit era. You beat a couple more bosses. And then it becomes Metroidvania, where you have to go through every area that you were in previously and switch between the 16-bit and the 18-bit... Or, sorry, the the 8-bit and the 16-bit era and complete puzzles, solve challenges, and eventually um, collect all of these, like, note fragments, I guess, as 
the the now esteemed messenger who uh you find out actually the scroll the thing that you were like traveling around with at this point in the game was actually a map and you had just never thought to open it before there's something very funny about that that's just like he's like dude you never opened it you carried it all this way bro uh so yeah i think that this is a really really fun challenging uh platformer with lots of content uh especially if you're going to want to go for all of the different power seals which unlock a a really cool end game weapon if you collect every single one uh so for completionists, especially, I can imagine this kind of game would be like the kind of thing that would keep you up at night wanting to play until the very end. Uh, I think I'm going to continue playing it, but between this and Horus, I'm like a little bit burnt <laughs> out on the precision platforming, huh? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you are too, but just like, it's stressful, man. And especially having to do it in like a time crunch for the show. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of stopped trying to get to the end of the game, and I just started trying to have fun as much as I could because like there was no way I was getting to the end of this game. <laughs> it's pretty tough and stressful, but it's a lot of fun. You know, uh, not every game has to be super tough, though. No, some games are just about, like, living life, sad and alone, Ding. just embracing the stillness of the wind. Oh, there it is. Which is our next game. A uh, game by Memory of God or Lambic Studios. It's a, it's a relaxing like point-and-click style game. So it's literally just like, click on an object. Use the object on the thing. Uh, move or, you know, click to move. Talk to a person. Interact with a thing. Uh, it's, it's a very, very slow-paced, super chill game. It's like it's almost therapeutic the way the game plays. It, you know, it's it's very repetitive actions. It's very repetitive uh, daily chore. Like the whole game is centered around you are the last person on your farm. Your your whole family has moved away. Everyone else has passed away. So it's just you alone taking care of your farm. And so you do daily tasks like you you milk your goats and make some cheese. You you get the chickens eggs and make some eggs. You plant some seeds and grab some water and you water your seeds. And that's that's what there is to the game. It's it's really low key and really repetitive. It it feels like you're doing your daily chores and doing your daily sort of tending to your farm. It's like it's it's Animal Crossing, but designed to feel more realistic, I think. And the game the game's really focused on these ideas of like loss and leaving home and losing the people you love. Like every everything you can interact with on the farm pretty much has some sort of story about how your father built this thing and now he's dead, or like this is the grave of someone I cared about, or this was my friend's stump that he used to sit on, and now they're gone. And throughout this whole thing, you're getting letters from your family that, like, moved to the city to go to college and graduate, and, like, they're working on their own lives, and the letters get increasingly darker and darker, and you're just, you're, you're still just stuck alone at your farm doing your work every day. It just, it feels like this sort of constant reminder of the loss that we have in our lives and the loss around us. And it's, it's really, it's like, it's a very lighthearted 
dark game kind of it felt as i was playing it hmm the the only kind of solace that you have is that like the male person comes around every day and you can talk to them you can chat with them they bring goods to trade so you can like trade your eggs for another chicken or and and they bring your letter every day that has something new from your family and you're just there tending to your crops that like it kind of makes me feel like it, it maybe this is sort of what it is like to be an old person during coronavirus right now if you're like living I, alone in like a plane or something like out in the wilderness i like, honestly could feel that like it 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 felt like it 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 felt really lonely like everything about this game is is designed to make you feel lonely it feels like and I could imagine that, like, that is that is probably the exact same thing that, like, your el- your grandparents and stuff are going through right now with COVID. With, like, there's no one in the house. All they have to do all day is just, like, what they do every day. And they're just waiting for a phone call or waiting for a letter so that they can have some sort of interaction with you. Right, because they, they can't see anybody in person because they could be at risk. And, like, at that point, the only person that you end up seeing at all is the postman exactly it's i i honestly it it feels like a good game to play if you want some like empathy and understanding of what that struggle is to just be living in a world and slowly losing everyone around you damn man so would you recommend it yeah uh absolutely it's it's really hard because it's a really slow-paced game and so you'll feel like you're doing nothing a lot, but I think that's the point of the game to make you feel like you're in this sort of repetitive rut, trying to get out, doing the same thing over and over again, all alone. Mm. And so I think that's the intent and you really have to like sit down and embrace that and just go with it. I, I have a hard time sitting around doing nothing. And so it was really, it was really hard for me to get into this game, but I, I think it's worth, trying to power through you know your your modern day information era induced ADD to just like play this game and experience it right so especially for the right kind of person that's kind of more into these slower paced more artsy kind of contemplative games perhaps that that's sort of the market that would really hit with this game oh absolutely absolutely and it's 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 a great way to play to just like feel feel some empathy for everything going on right now and and people who are older and dealing with this kind of loss right now hell yeah man yeah it's it really cuts it something like deep and dark you know uh dark darkness stygian (laughs) stygian Stygian Reign of the Old Ones is a game by Cultic Games. It is their debut title as well. We've been getting a lot of those in this particular bundle. Uh, yeah, I believe of all my games, only one developer was like a, a an, an in-progress developer. Everyone else seemed to be fresh-faced people. A, a good amount of the games that we've covered in general over the this podcast have been uh, debut games, which is just very interesting. I'm glad that we're getting exposure to these games. Uh, but at the same time, it also means you're getting to see the, like, the baby steps that these developers are taking. And they're not always perfect, uh, which is basically how I would describe Stygian. Not perfect, 
I put the most hours out of any game by far in into this one. I, I think it's around like 24 hours that I put a little bit over 24 hours into this game uh, over the past couple of weeks. I really, really love uh, old school CRPG games like Fallout 1 and 2, and this game is absolutely trying to ape that same sort of style and mechanical uh, complexity where uh, the RPG mechanics really play a huge role uh, so that you can even avoid lots of combat encounters, whether it's through stealth or through uh, unique you know, uh, dialogue options, uh, using your subterfuge to, to steal or to uh, go around and do uh, sneaky things. Or in this game, there's also uh, a lot of you know, unique mechanics that aren't in, say, games like Fallout, like things like uh, the occult, and that's sort of like this magic system in the game that has to do with your sanity. So whereas in Fallout, you have to worry about your sort of radiation and your health in this game, because it is everything to do with Lovecraft, uh, in that sort of realm of horror, you have to worry about maintaining your sanity. Uh, and that sort of goes through the whole entire game, the combat especially, you have to worry about not just your health, but also the sanity of your characters. And if they get below a certain threshold at any point in the game, uh, then they will develop a mental condition. My character developed mania, which made it so that uh, they would have like random manic like uh, interjections where like the dialogue option would get crossed out and then rewritten over with like crazy dialogue and it was really funny <laughs> to so see cool yeah it was really funny to see people's reactions to like the more manic op dialogue options uh and that of course only came about because my character had suffered enough in the game to sort of create this state and, and a lot of this game is really about making you feel like your character is suffering and it's just about surviving really uh to the to the end uh, as long as you can um more drawing again from the comparisons for fallout uh caps uh which never really made much sense to me as a currency i i never completely got why bottle caps would suddenly one day be recognized as everyone is suddenly having value over other currencies but cigarettes immediately make sense as a currency because cigarettes are already used as currency in prisons and in this game, uh, the setting is sort of like this New England town of Arkham that is suddenly one day just plucked from reality and set into this Lovecraftian sort of nightmare hellscape where on the Black Day, uh, just everyone who uh, was just able to maintain sanity uh, was just stuck in this tiny town with, that only had basically a mob and a cult to form the different power structures in the town because the police was almost immediately demolished in the ensuing riots and chaos. And, and, and so, it, actually, I scratched that. There is a third power structure. Uh, there's like a Native American tribe in the game that you can inter interact with, but literally they've just adopted like their old isolationist policy of just like, fuck any Westerner we see, we are going to kill them and scalp them because we don't trust them. And they are the by far the best off out of anybody in the whole game, uh, from what I can tell, which is really funny because they have this, like, they, they like get the fuck away from us. We don't want to have to deal with the cult or the mob. But because of that, as the character, you try to enter their domain and they just instantly attack you. Or, and, like, beyond, <laughs> like, a, a warning that they give you once, if you try to go back there, they instantly attack you. And... 
there's like no other interacting that you can do with them otherwise you you can like wipe them out if you wanted but they're just like there otherwise uh combat in this game is very similar to fallout again it uses like a turn-based ap system where you have uh, a certain amount of action points that uh, you spend for different actions whether they're like casting spells moving or uh, shooting somebody or hitting somebody uh, the goal at the end of the game is to find this guy who appeared in your dream at the very beginning of the game called the Dismal Man, and uh, eventually you find this poem from him, then you're trying to, like, decipher all the different lines of the poetry by making something happen in the real world. Uh, it's all very fascinating, and it does keep you going to the end. Uh, the character creation is really the biggest part of this game that I, I really think is the biggest selling point. You can choose to be uh, a bunch of different belief systems, which influence how you choose to roleplay and regain sanity. Like if you choose uh, a, a dialogue option that fits within your belief system, then you regain sanity. So for example, the divine uh, roleplayer would like always choose the option that has to do with like, I submit everything to God. While like uh, the esoteric one, actually no, the humanistic one was what I played and everything that I did was just like, but people are good, right? Humanity is inherently good, even though, like, it was so hard to be a humanistic person in this game because everything is awful and people are just constantly trying to kill you or drive you insane. Uh, but there's the, the divine, the nihilistic, the materialistic, the rational, the humanistic, and the esoteric. And then also archetypes matter. Uh, you can start out as, like, an academic character, an aristocrat, a criminal, an explorer, an investigator, an occultist, a performer, or a soldier... And these all have, like, sub-archetypes that affect your character. I started out as a performer, and I didn't invest at all into either science or the occult. Because, like, I had a partner that did science and another partner that did the occult, and I figured that was fine. Um, and I got really far in the game, I'd say around, like, two-thirds of the way through the game, until I got to this part of the game that required me to have at least three occult or four science. And my character is depressed right now, which means that they have no way to, like, like they gain one fourth the amount of experience as normal and there's no more quests oh, left no. and the save system in this game is broken um it gets rid of old saves and you can't like choose to save over an old save it just saves and then gets rid of a previous save so you're just stuck a lot of the time in these like really long uh, like really far down the the game and then you'll just have an entire character that's just bu broken like, you can't do anything with it that character that performer character that i was doing is now busted i cannot progress in the game anymore because of that arbitrary gate and because of that and also because of things like bugs that i, I i've been experiencing all over throughout the game i can't like recommend this immediately to I don't want to I want to say to anyone, but like I know that I enjoyed this game and the writing is good. And I know that, like, especially if you're into Lovecraft, this is a really good take on Lovecraft. Uh, Lovecraft is problematic in his own way, but I feel like this kind of it, it, the, the idea of the otherworldly horror in his writing, I, I still think is interesting in and of itself. Absolutely. Uh, and there are moments of the game that like really hit on that really well. Like <laughs> this is a bit of a spoiler. So you probably shouldn't listen to this part if you're planning to play the game, but uh, there's this guy who promises you an escape out of Arkham, and you uh, help him out a whole bunch, finding a whole bunch of different parts for him, and then when you finally give them to him, uh, he turns out to be a bug man, and he tries to kill you and take your brain. And it turns out that the thing that you were <laughs> assembling was a brain canister for your own brain. 
That's so good. But then after that, you go into his basement and you can have a conversation with the different brains that he has captured. And some of them have been there for like millennia and have just been seeing nothing but void, but have been witness to like multiple generations of violence and atrocities. And so it's just interesting. Like That's so cool. Like just the idea of that. And, or like one of them like was this this fresh brain that was freshly put in there and he was like please kill me and you have the option to kill him or the option to like take him with you and you can like craft something out of him if you want to i think <laughs> like that's so much fun so so it's more about exploring the sort of i ethical ramifications of being in a lovecraftian world because like fallout was originally called like a, a post survival or a post-apocalypse like ethical something game the thing I was trying to stammer out right here was Fallout, a post-nuclear role-playing game. That was the name of the very first title in the series. It, like, exploration of ethics in the post-apocalypse. And this game, I feel like, can be seen as an exploration of ethics and uh, being in, like, a sort of esoteric, world-ending, reality-tearing a Lovecraftian sort of a, of deal. And I, I think that's really cool. And there's a lot of merit to it. If you can bear past the bugs and you know that there's that arbitrary gate that I mentioned earlier with the uh, three occult or four science that your character needs just for no reason that's like not like explained up until that point that you're going to need it. It doesn't warn you or anything. And a lot of checks in this game, you don't know like what you need in order to like succeed in the check because it won't tell you unless you already have a little bit of that in your character already so when i went back as an occult character i played a little bit as an occult character i i found that there were things that i had no idea were mechanics in the game like <laughs> there, there was a puzzle uh where i had to get this guy out of a, a room in order to investigate the room and as my performer i just like did my performing thing and lied but as an occult character i went into the room next door that was haunted i summoned a ghost and then had the ghost haunt the room next door in order to get the guy to leave. And because of that, and the way that you can like really play your character and the way that they uh, succeed in the world in their own unique way, I really dig this game and these types of games. I just really wish I didn't waste so much fucking time on a character that is now completely useless. And I feel really gypped and really kind of demoralized by the game especially if you're putting so much time into it. I was really ready to defend this game and all of its bugs, but, like, I am just so frustrated by the fact that there was that random gate. That's unfortunate. So so I want to postulate that perhaps maybe all the bugs and and the weird gating and the deliberately, like, leaving things out, maybe it's not bugs, and maybe it's just a way to induce sanity into the player, too. Honest to God, I, I it was kind of driving me a little bit insane. I had to go back, like, and lose so much fucking progress in order to, like, get past these, like, horrible game-breaking saves, like, this one where I tried to craft a crossbow with a gun that was already in a character's inventory slot, and for some reason the gun wouldn't leave the inventory slot after I crafted the crossbow, so it was just stuck there forever, and, like, just stuff like that. I, it's so frustrating to have to just bear <laughs> through it. I wanted to defend this game. I really loved so much of playing this game. It. I was ready to declare this as be, excuse me, being my game of the month. Like literally, I was there. And then I got to this part in the game, and it just like cock blocked me. It was like fuck you, kick me in the shin. 
It's just it's just inducing the themes of the game into the real world. Yeah, it really is. It's driving me bonkers, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I was I was trying to do something with bonkers and I couldn't make it work. I was trying to do some kind of bonkers, bonkers, bonkers bad fur day, bonkers superland, the 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 superland equivalent of games on the N sixty four. Does know. this game really <laughs> feel like an N sixty four game? Um, uh, no, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> oh well, then what the fuck? Okay, fine. I was trying to make a segue out of what you gave me. I, I don't really, know. it was a shit. It was a shit prompt. Just ignore it and let's move on. Superland. It's it's a game by Supra Games UG, and Supra Games was created by a guy named David Munich. And when I first saw this name, I was hella confused as to what I knew it from. And it's because I used to do a lot of cryptography, and he was really big in the scene. Um, he made, like, one of the, like, internet's hardest puzzles with a couple of other people. And it's all just, like, it's cryptography-based. So you're, like, digging through source code and trying to, like, solve these, like, basically digital puzzles. Oh, damn. Um, and he went on to develop a game called Superland. And it shows because this is, it's, it's like, a heavily puzzle-based platformer. Uh, or not platformer, RPG. And it's just, you're, you're constantly, like, you're given, you're just thrown gadgets. And you have to, like, use these gadgets to solve these puzzles, to advance further, to fight bosses and stuff. It's, it's really cleverly designed. And it makes you feel smart, because some of the puzzles are very hard. And you figure them out relatively quickly, though, because they're, you're given all the tools to succeed pretty easily. So it, it, it's, it's this beautiful, like love child of just like every rpg you can think about it's got it's got it's riddled with inside references there's like you can find he-man and santa claus and like deadpool gives you a quest at one point in time and there's just like there's plumbuses from rick and morty all over the place in this game really <laughs> yeah they're just like chilling on desks and stuff uh taco the wizard is in it at one point um, it's just it's just riddled with all of these sort of like references and jokes from RPGs past. You know, the first thing you do is some guy comes up to you and says, "It's dangerous to go alone. Take this wooden sword." Um, and of so it's it's yeah, it's great. It's this beautiful homage to like all the RPGs that came before it, and it's so charming in that sense that like you you never know what you're gonna see or what you're gonna find, and it's just a ton of fun and. When I booted up this game, I was really worried because I, I thought for sure it was going to be about politics. And that's <laughs> possibly because of just like the American political climate right now. Get that proly brain. <laughs> right? That proly brain. As soon as you see like objectively red and blue at war, it immediately made me think, all right, this thing's going to be about Republicans and Democrats fighting because of the red side and the blue side or whatever. Um, but thankfully to, to like my relief it wasn't about politics at all it was more about like media manipulation and kind of like the conversations of race and stuff and the way uh the way media influences that because as you get through the game right i know i was not um, expecting you... that at all based on the aesthetic of the game which is like a child's play box yeah, you're 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 playing these like little cartoon characters in a child's play box and it's it's great because it it starts with nothing too. Like it's just like go fix our water and then like oh you find out the blues shut off the water so you have to go chase after the blues to get your water turned back on. Um and then come to find out I just swallowed a bug. Fuck. 
delicious, delicious bug. Wow, wow, wow. Come to find so you're, you're chasing after the. <laughs> <laughs> Do you swallow any bugs in the game too? No, no bugs in game. Um, so you you come to find out though that the king on the blue side has been convincing all of the blues that the red are terrible people. Like he's just been making up stories and sharing them with his entire kingdom about how terrible and awful the reds are. And so it, it, it's this idea of like the only information we have is the information from the people who give us the information. And we have no idea if their information is biased because come to find out the king is only telling everyone that the reds are bad because his brother was the Red King, and he stole his girlfriend, basically. Oh, and, and that's what inside all of this was like, you and stole that's what, my girl, <laughs> now I'm inciting inside, a race war. Exactly, that's exactly right. Um, <laughs> Holy shit, okay, well, cool. So yeah, it's got all these really like interesting, subtle themes about like media's portrayal of race and like how that plays in our in our world and everything. Hey, wait! And and it was really refreshing and fun to see that take on it rather than it being like it's a political struggle. Just the way that you are describing this and the way that I'm now recontextualizing uh, previous things that I've played is is Mario Mario a tale about gentrification. Oh, absolutely! Oh my god! <laughs> it, it, like, like, and, and and like a race war, like starting between the Koopas and like the Toads, and like, yeah, it's, it's all about Mario trying to colonize Bowser's kingdom, man. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Mario is just Mario is just a giant race war analogy. I now get it. I understand. I've been red pilled. <laughs> <laughs> anyway please continue about this very uh, anyway good this very yeah very very good game it, it, it's a lot of fun and you find like as, as you're going through the game you're given all these tools and there's this sort of like castlevania style backtracking where you get these upgrades and these new abilities and you can go back to other areas and discover new things and it's it's a lot of fun in that sense that like it's just this giant mostly open world sandbox this playground and it's literally that it's literally a child's playground that you're like you're running around solving puzzles using all these tools that you find throughout to like further advance in the game and it was just so charming and so much fun to play that like i i i when i downloaded the game i sat through and played it straight through in two days and beat it because i was having that much fun with it <laughs> I remember that was like right at the beginning of the bundle cycle and you just plowed right through that game. Yeah, I, I and I want to like once you beat the game too, it like pops up and it's like if you want to be an obsessive completionist, here's everything you got left to do. Oh. And so like I, I kind of want to go back and, and find the rest of the stuff and and finish this game to completion just because like I was having that much fun with it. And a DLC is coming out soon. So Ooh, I do like the DLC. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for it. I am definitely going to pick it up because like this game is 100% worth it even if it's even if you're just playing it as like a charming homage to like RPGs cuz it it does. It it captures that sort of like youthish ID like glorification of RPGs in like a way that doesn't feel crummy. It just like you're just revisiting your childhood in this game basically. Does it feel like a kid's game? No, I I mean, 
it doesn't feel like it's not terribly difficult. It doesn't like, but it doesn't like hold your hand at all. Hmm. It, 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 you drop into the world and there's like, there's no tutorial because it's an RPG and you already know how to play them. And they don't tell you like at, at most there's little hints that people give you through like in-game characters will give you hints on some of the puzzles and stuff. And, and that's the, the most there is in sort of like handholding and, it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel childish. It doesn't feel incredibly difficult, but it does feel rewarding and and challenging still, even as like an adult. Hell yeah! But it, it definitely also feels like a great game you could use to introduce a new generation to RPGs. You know what else it's... is uh, a really really great game to introduce people to uh, potentially like a whole bunch of uh, different things like action games and and Norse mythology. And uh, maybe even like the the perils of schizophrenia. Uh, God of War. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> it's about Kratos and a guy who yells at things and has a son and he goes boy. No, uh, this is Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. This is a game by Ninja Theory. Uh, I've kind of I've heard them called a double A developer before because they're kind of an in between between a triple A high budget developer and an indie developer uh they started out with games like heavenly sword uh or i think it was actually called bleeding edge uh or no actually no that's their new game bleeding edge and then also uh enslaved odyssey to the west uh but this is a really really great game in fact if you're a fan of games like god of war or uncharted those kind of like heavily scripted but very cinematic uh first person or not even really first person but just character action games that take you through a really awesome story uh this is right up that alley uh, i would describe this as being like a viking schizophrenia simulator uh you are immediately engrossed into this world from the start of the game in this like extended uh rowing sequence by the just world-class audio engineering uh i was listening i had to listen to this with headphones i i like almost ran into an issue where like i i nearly couldn't listen to it at all with headphones because i had some technical issues on my front but i was so glad that i did because like the the whispers in your ear and the voices that that just kind of hit you at every angle in one ear and then into the other warning you of danger when you're in combat but also just like in this opening sequence like like saying things like they're watching they're watching they're watching they're watching they're watching, they're watching. <laughs> it's just like it gets inside of your head a little bit and you see like bodies that are strung up uh while you're rowing and, and you kind of see them and, and in your mind you could imagine you know her thinking these things like oh my god they're watching me and it kind of like put me into that mindset of seeing things that weren't necessarily there. So uh, the really cool thing about the the audio and visual design of this game is that it simulates uh, very realistically what it's actually like to have schizophrenia, the visual effects and the sort of auditory effects, as well as some hallucinations and things like that. Uh, we discovered a, a condition called polyplopia. We didn't even know existed just because while I was playing uh, at Johnny's house, uh, Johnny mentioned that like uh, it was just interesting how the lights uh, kind of patterned and, and uh, reflected upon itself. And then we were kind of curious, like, is that a, a symptom of schizophrenia? And then we looked it up and polyplopia turns out totally is. 
uh, a symptom where, where you see multiple copies of, of an image uh, as you're sort of wandering by and it turns out that a lot of sort of visual sensitivity is associated with schizophrenia and all of that was just completely derived from the design of how everything looks and feels as you're wandering around this hellish landscape and so props to the mental health and uh historical advisors who both worked i'm sure really really hard in this game to make sure that that was true and correct to uh, real life experiences because it's so like you can't read a book and know what schizophrenia is like you can't really watch a movie and, and, as well and, and know what schizophrenia is like but it, it being a game and it being interactive and, and having that one-to-one -one sort of correlation I feel like really helps to put you in the position of a person who has this mental condition. And in the combat is where it gets really exciting because, you know, things will kind of appear and disappear out of your existence as if you're kind of seeing it for the first time. Uh, and then things will usually be grotesque and horrifying as if, like, your your mental condition is sort of making everything more terrifying than it even is. And the way that you solve puzzles in the game often doesn't make any sense. It breaks logic you know you'll uh, enter into like this kind of fiery hellscape in order to uh run through a door that's on fire and then you'll transport back into the real world as soon as you ran into the door and then you'll look behind you and the door that was the thicket fence that you weren't able to pass before is now completely burst down as if you had suddenly gained a hulk-like strength after seeing you that you in its vision uh in running in, in through the fire and it's just fascinating uh sort of you thinking about how like what must be happening must ha how it might be happening in real life and how it's being represented in the game and the sort of disconnect between what i'm believing is happening and what the game is telling me is happening uh and that was really really cool and it just it, it is a very cinematic game that like hooks you by the fucking teeth i i've gotten past the first two bosses and i've gotten to uh, the bridge of hell which I promptly fell off. <laughs> and uh, since then, I've been like working on getting my uh, sword back by doing a whole bunch of mine trials and stuff. Uh, but there's still a lot of the game left. And I got to say, I'm definitely going to be finishing this one. I think it's probably... I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's a really, really good game this month, I think. It might be one of the best games this bundle. <laughs> So you, you deal with death a lot in this game, and death is actually quite a common character in a lot of different literature, isn't that right? Yeah, death actually dates back to like the sort of Judo-Christian origins, and uh, you find out a lot about that in Felix the Reaper. This is uh, a really freaking interesting game from uh, Kong Orange. It's entirely a puzzle game. So you're like navigating through shadows to move objects to to change the way the shadows uh, cast so that you can get them into certain places to ultimately kill people because in this game you are an agent of death. And it I, I found the game pretty dull and boring to begin with. It's It's relatively easy. The puzzles aren't terribly difficult. And if you get stuck, there's just a button that you press to show the next step and you can fly through them pretty quick. And there's only five uh, sets of missions with about four in each. So there's like 20 puzzles to solve. But what I realized when I went back to play it to uh, just yesterday, actually, was that at each set of missions, there's a beautiful little thing you can click that gives you a ton of lore 
about death itself and like the history of death and where it where it came from and why we sort of have the takes and beliefs on death that we have now and after reading through all of this information about death i i came to the realization that this game isn't about the gameplay itself it's it's a love letter to death it is it, it's just a meant to be a beautiful piece of art showing how death has evolved and what it means to us and our society and i i found that really charming and this idea that uh in in a couple of the things they mention the history of the dance macabre which is the the dance of death and it's this historical movement that death went through and this idea that like dance is heavily tied with him and death is a dancer and he dances with the souls of the damned basically and there was this surgence uh at some point in history where all of a sudden death was represented in this way he he wasn't represented that way before, but then like we can track the date at which we started to bring this dance macabre in and plays were written about death dancing and books were written about death dancing. And it just, it continued to inform this sort of idea of what we believe in with death and sort of, it took the idea from this uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse going to murder everyone. Uh, death is bad to this, sort of romantic romanticizing death and like he's he's a kind person he's a gentle soul like death is death is a dancer death is creative death is caring and that gave birth to the death death and the maiden which was the the representation of death finding love mm -hmm. and and this idea where we started representing death not as something that people feared but something that people embraced and and we can track that history of like when when we see in the imagery like women starting to lean into death and death starting to be romanticized a little bit and there's this like death is kissing people's necks and and cradling them in his arms and it, it, it's this beautiful like beautiful transition that I I had never even had any idea about and all all I think about when I think of death is just like skeleton man grim reaper. But yeah. there, there, there's so much more to it, and it's gorgeous. And that's what this game is. It, it took the dance macabre and the death, uh, and death and the maiden, and brought those sort of myths and ideas to life in a very modern sense. That's just really fun and charming to see this take on on death. Just seems like a, a very, very fun exploration of, of the motifs and themes surrounding death as a character a literary device throughout history exactly it, it that's exactly what it is and there's all kinds of it, it goes beyond just text too and in all these files there's images and pictures that they found of of hmm. death to track the history and they talk about books about death and like famous plays and books and even other video games that depicted death and and they're like like it, it's telling you like if you want to know more like go to these resources read about death find out about him embrace the culture like hmm. learn about death and it's it's really cool because it takes and it brings a very modern take on it too and how we see death today and this idea that we we as beings have become too educated to believe in fantasy skeleton man and so we've started to sort of create an ironic look at death and like we, we joke about it more so that we can have that representation still, 
but also be detached from the physical representation. Like we can believe in death because we're believing in it ironically, which is really a really fun and interesting take that I, I hadn't even considered about the way we view death in our society. Right. And I think I mentioned earlier, uh, just because the Discworld depiction of death is so iconic to me that apparently that was a, a fixture in the game as well. And sort of like a turning point of where uh, people started to see the ironic version of death and sort of like uh, death as, as, a, as a character and a human person more like uh, more came into being. That's that's exactly what they mentioned, basically, in in the in the game. And it's it's very fun. And I learned a ton about death reading through all this. And it took, you know, it it took 20 minutes. It's probably nothing you can't find online, but like. All the information was there, it was gathered, it was presented to me, and so it was really fun learning about that, reading it, and then seeing the presentation and their take on death side by side that still paid homage to these older tropes about death. Really damn cool delivery method, then. Exactly, exactly. It goes back to sort of our idea uh, we talked about last month with the the games as information and knowledge and teaching tools and less about gameplay and mechanics. I love that, man. I think this might be like weirdly the most educational one out of the bunch, because I mean, like you can learn a little bit about world war two from men of war, I guess, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It, it's, it's incredibly educational and you'll learn so much. And like, I, I feel really passionate and excited about death now because I played this game, which is so weird to say. Huh. That that is really dope actually. Uh, I think I might actually give this a give this one a play from your Steam share. Yeah, if if not just to read the lore cuz mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. Um sure. so yeah, it's it's a fairly easy game unless you're going for like perfect scores and it leaves a lot to want in terms of like traditional narratives. But the way it puts death into perspective and the stuff that it teaches you that you might not otherwise think about is it's incredible and worth checking out this game for that alone. Hell yeah, it, it, bro. It'll really just like overload your brain with information. Yeah, you know, you die a lot in overload. And I feel like those two <laughs> things can be very, very well connected. Uh let me tell you a little bit about this game here. It is a game developed by Revival Productions, LLC. Overload is a six degrees of freedom shooter. Imagine if you were playing a Doom game, but instead of a regular protagonist, the protagonist was the Millennium Falcon. That's basically what this game feels like, uh, where you're running through these really crazy uh, claustrophobic, uh, ship spaces you can move in literally any direction that you want from forward to backward left right and up and down because of those six different degrees of movement you're able to dodge in just about any different direction and also uh the concept of up becomes basically meaningless except when you're looking at the map uh i found myself really losing track of where I was all the time while playing this game, and the map was an absolutely invaluable resource in order to understand the geography of literally any place that I flew into. Uh, it was fairly confusing, but once you got the hang of it and the hang of movement and moving around and shooting things, it was really damn fun. I feel like the multiplayer in this game would be, like, really kick-ass. Like, 
imagine like space doom and a whole bunch of people fighting <laughs> flying around and dodging bullets they're all projectiles like it's really fun but i could not for the life of me get any of the different multiplayer matches to work it, it seems like they have a, a discord for setting up uh servers and matches but they don't have like a dedicated server list or anything like that uh so actually finding a match can be quite difficult uh the main game plays just like your typical doom game where you have like stages that you have to complete with secrets in each one of them uh depending on how many like things that you pick up you like bonuses and different objects uh that like grant you bonuses in between you can like upgrade your vehicle uh and different uh weapons and stuff like that in between the different levels i had a good amount of fun playing through the campaign i didn't 100 percent complete it and i just got pretty far and said like all right i get this game now i don't know that i need to play any more of it um Again, I feel like I might want to dive back into this game if I had a bunch of friends to play it with, because this particular version that you get with Humble actually is a DRM-free version, so you can oh. install it on a whole bunch of different uh, systems and probably play it locally really easily, so I would love to try that out sometime. Uh, also, it has a VR mode, and I didn't mention this, but Hellblade also has a VR mode, and I you don't have... mention that. Yeah, I don't have a VR set, but I would love to play either of these games in VR. Overload would be just like a vomit situation waiting to happen because of how crazy the sort of gravity-defying nonsense of it is. And even when I'm playing just on my monitor, like I, I feel like I have to take a nap after I played this game. It's so intense. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's got a rock and OST too. Pretty baller. I, I I think that if you're a fan of 90s shooters, you'll probably have a lot of fun with this one. Uh, or if you're into sort of space combat games and you want to try something a little different, I think that this is right up your alley. Uh, now, space combat, very similar to another kind of combat. In fact, yeah. a lot of people in space usually train out in the sea at first. And low pressurized vehicles that sail underneath the ocean right yeah high pressurized low pressure vehicles right? uh, uh, yeah low pressure would be actually in the air i think well don't they no. pre depressurize the cabin so that you don't get cr no they'd have to pressurize it's, the it's cabin. High, high pressure it, it's high pressure yeah so that it doesn't get crushed yeah because that, that's what borrow is did you know that yeah that's what the borrow yeah. means it means pressure pressure yeah pressure trauma borrow trauma it's it's the trauma of being pressed underneath the sea uh and that is our next game. Wow. Fake Fish and Undertow Games. Borrow Trauma. <laughs> we got there. Silky. It is a co-op sub-survival game that David and I played a little bit together. Uh, it's incredibly difficult but engaging multiplayer gameplay. It is, it's focused on everyone is assigned different roles. So you can either be the captain, the mechanic, the electrician, or the security guard. And your goal is to defend your ship and keep it, like, repaired as you sail through the deep seas, completing missions and gathering things, killing enemies, and doing general sub-stuff in order to advance forward. Uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult, and every role is, like, vitally important to this game because, like... If you get a leak, your sub just stops moving and you have to repair the leak. And 
if you're not managing your power right, you can start to get fires in your cabin. And if an enemy attacks you and you didn't kill it in time and it uh, uh, like gathers at the front of your ship, it'll just start beating at your hole until someone swims out with a shotgun and kills it because yeah. you can't target it with your like mounted guns anymore because it's at a weird angle <laughs> if the engine overheats then the entire system shuts down and you just start falling towards the depths of the ocean and then if you keep falling and hit the bottom then you smash and get a bunch of leaks that now start flooding your ship uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's insane and there's so much that you're like managing at one time but like it, it, it all feels like it, everything is going great in that game until it's not, and then everything just crashes and burns real quick. It, it feels like you're doing really good, and things are slow and fine, and then you miss one enemy, and all of a sudden you're crashed at the bottom of the sea. Everyone's, like, drowning, and you can't restart things <laughs> because your mechanic is dead. <laughs> For sure. I, I feel like uh, you probably should play the tutorial and everybody who you're playing with should probably play the tutorial because it does really help to kind of understand what the different roles uh, do and function and how they function. Uh, and also just where shit is because, uh, I don't know, it's difficult to understand where, where things are and what things are and how, how they help you. I spaced out. It's a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> But, like, and that's part of it is, like, every ship is different, so you have to, like, learn and memorize the ships and know where to go and know what their weaknesses are, and it's nice because you can play with NPCs, too, so you can get a crew of, like, eight robots playing with you, but it's much better to play with a friend. I don't think they fully implemented the control system for uh, playing single player yet, so it's pretty janky. It definitely seems like this game is superior when you have a large group of friends to play it with. Yeah, the way you play solo is you have, like, a command wheel that you can just, like, assign commands to different people, and that's that's the closest you get to being able to dedicate people. I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit for you, but I just don't think that this is a good game to play alone. Oh, it's definitely not a good game to play alone. I would never play it alone. Uh, I It's definitely at least get one, if not two or three other people to play it with you. And it it's a blast playing with friends and, like, struggling and getting frustrated with each other and trying to survive. It's a blast. But alone, I can't recommend it. So only get it if you have friends to play with. Mm -hmm. And we'll be your friends to play with if you get it. Oh, that's true. I would actually love to, like, get a couple people from the community. Maybe get, like, a full ship of, like, 16 together. That would be crazy. I'd like yeah, that. Yeah, so if anyone picks it up, let us know. And, and maybe we'll get a stream together one of these nights and, and play some Borrow Trauma with y'all. Was that... Was that the last game? Oh... Oh, oh! That was the last game. We wow. did it. That actually went faster than I thought it did this week. Did, we, we made great about? time. Wow. Okay. I mean, it helps that like four of the games were pretty watered down garbage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say watered down garbage. That's being a little harsh. A I little. mean, that it, it's it's ironic. Don't don't take that seriously. All these games were good in their own merit. They just weren't for me. We get a lot of games in this bundle, and not all of them are hits. Some of them are a little bit of a miss, and that's fine. Sometimes that's just how it is. Not every game is made for every person. We're not going to enjoy every game that comes onto our plate. Exactly. It's a big plate and a lot of games. Yeah. So want to talk about some extras? You know, we do have a couple little desserts here that we uh, we should probably talk about before we finish off this big full meal. 
so the first of the two little extras that we have here is the Ickenfell demo. It, this demo uh, is by a developer called Happy Ray Games. It is a turn-based tactics RPG set in a wizard magic school. It has cute art, uh, specifically the character art I really enjoyed, although it is somewhat uh, lower budget pixel art, less sort of going for the retro aesthetic like the messenger was earlier, and more seems like for budgetary reasons they're going for pixel art, but it still does look good. Um, I got stuck at like a random cat boss that shows up about like an hour and a half into the demo, and I don't know if it's like the end of the demo because it's by far the hardest thing that I fought in the whole game and it just appears out of nowhere. But I was not going to like sit there and grind and then beat this thing in a demo and I definitely <laughs> quit. Like I was not sitting there for this like tiny white cat that was shooting a million shards of white glass at me just piercing my skin a thousand times over. I hated it. Uh, so I did not beat the demo. There was... Uh, a character named Bax, though, and I did. I found that to be very enjoyable. So that's cute. Yeah, I love it when a character's named after me. Yeah, uh, I didn't love the demo. Uh, it's gonna need to do more to really impress me. I'm not really a big fan of like the magic school setting anyway. So maybe this game just isn't for me. The next game here, before I forget, is by Threefold Games. It's just a short little one-hour gone-home style exploration-based game where you're looking around an uh, old woman's apartment trying to parse together the life that she lived. Uh, the twist in this one is that you actually are playing as the old woman herself, and the thing is is that you're rediscovering your life because you have dementia. And as a person with, with Alzheimer's or dementia, you kind of forget a lot of things until you hold the object that reminds you of things in, in your hand, and then you can kind of see it, conceptualize, and remember the things that happened in your past. But it was really interesting playing this game having lived with someone who had dementia, and I, I kind of had, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I wanted to say that it was, like, more powerful for me in particular, but just, like, it made me feel very introspective. Because I've lived with a person who has had a lot of these problems. Like, there's this one segment in the game that, like, kind of wrenched my heart a little bit that was, uh, you were living alone in this apartment and you have to go to the bathroom. And you're, you leave, like, the room that you were in and you look out and all the doors are closed. And you open any door and you try to go in and it just takes you back to the first door. And, and it's like a cycle that you keep going back to that first door. And it's like if you just forgot where you were going because you had dementia and you just forgot where things were. Just imagining going through every single door, desperately looking for the one that had the bathroom. And then by the time that they finally found it, it was already too late. And like, Damn. that's, yeah, like, uh, there's just something like really sad about that, that like hit a chord with me. Uh, and then just like. The, the fact that she would see pictures of her older self and she wouldn't immediately recognize it as her being her younger self. She would just say like, oh, I look so good in this picture. And then she would find a picture of her older and then she would be like, oh, I wonder when this was taken. As if she like forgotten that she got older even. Like, <laughs> I don't know. This is a really cool game. If you want to understand what it is like to sort of live with dementia, uh, I think it's just a cool little artistic piece. It's not going to, like, revolutionize anything, but it was a cool way to spend an hour of my time, I'd say. Uh, and I really yeah. didn't regret any of it. Oh, 
And hey, guess what? There's actually another extra game that's going to be coming in the next bundle. Uh, Train Valley 2 was a game that we just like randomly happened upon. It just sort of showed up in the on our bundle list. We didn't know why, but apparently if you stay subscribed to Humble Bundle for uh, multiple months in a row, sometimes they give you a game in between the months. And next month, if you stay subscribed in between this and the next, then you get a bonus game that they haven't revealed yet. So we're going to be covering that next time as well. Hell yeah. Well, that's it. We made it through all of them. Yeah, that's the show. So what's your favorite game this month? Um, It's tough. I wanted it to be Stygian, like really bad. I played so much of that game hoping that I would get to the end and be able to tell everyone that I really enjoyed it and it was my game of the month. But I don't think that it was with all of the bugs and the frustrations and all of the nitpicks that I had with that game. I, I can't say that it was. I think the game that is the most uh, powerful and, and meant the most to me this month was the one that I also didn't get to play as much as I would have wanted, but... Uh, I, I think it was Hellblade, uh, and I'm, I spoiled it earlier, I guess, but... <laughs> I have to be right there with you. I mean, that the little bit that we played was just phenomenal, and even even if it wasn't the most, like, difficult or innovative game, like, the, 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 the sound design and the storytelling and the way it, like, makes you understand this 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 issue that people struggle with is just phenomenal. Yeah, this mental condition, like... I was kind of thinking about it, like these two games that I, I really enjoyed, Stygian and Hellblade, both had a lot to do with uh, mental health and like sanity and stuff like that. But one of them was sort of like a very gritty real take on it, while the other one was sort of like a mechanical sort of like, oh, you have a thing now and it, it gives you a bonus in combat, but also it makes you do things in the dialogue. And it was kind of like a little bit of a gamey way to look at it, whereas I felt like the Hellblade was a more holistic idea of like, Let's yeah. just show a person that suffers from this and, and and let's watch them try desperately to sort of, as the story progresses, you find out that you're delivering the the skull of someone that you loved to hell. And, and like just that intimate story uh, of a woman struggling with her own psyche in, 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 in a time when modern medicine, she doesn't know what schizophrenia is yeah she just understands it as like the darkness like this this mysterious entity that like spreads on her arm and like if you die too many times in the game then you just die permanently the rot from your arm spreads to your brain and it's gone you have to start from the beginning of the game and the the tension of that uh combined with just the amazing atmosphere and sound design like it's stellar and honestly inspirational to me as a you know a wannabe sound designer myself yeah, a hundred percent. So you you also liked Hellblade, but uh, what what other games have we been playing this week, huh? Oh, you know, we've been playing a lot of GTFO together. Do we just want to get that one out of the way? That's been yeah. Let's just get that out of the way. That's been our game. That's been like the yeah. thing that we played a ton together. So good. If you haven't played GTFO or seen it, like. I, I found out about this game because we did a giveaway on Reddit and someone mentioned it and it's been phenomenal. I have fallen in love with it. It's such a good, good game. Yeah, it's by the developers of Payday. Like they left uh, the their original studio and formed a new studio and now they're making this cool game about descending into a weird 
prison uh, that's dark and spooky and you have to survive with three other friends and it's basically co-op only survival mechanics uh and it's so so fun so difficult but each rundown is like a new treasure yeah and it's it's great just just look up gameplay at least <laughs> oh yeah what's this other one that i see here Atomicrops. I've been playing a lot of that. It's so much fun. It's a uh, it's a roguelike farming sim, which I'm sorry. It's it's a it's a roguelike farming sim bullet hell. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I almost missed the bullet hell part. It's it's so great. <laughs> you just like you get little seeds and you have to plant them and then you like run around this world exploring it for like more seeds and stuff and then at night like waves of enemies come to attack your crops. And so you have to fend them off and then harvest your crops for money so that you can get better guns. It's it's a classic roguelike loop, but it's just it's a lot of fun and it's really addicting and it's a pretty short play, which is awesome. You know, there's another game that I saw you playing as well that I'm curious about. What is Monster Train? Oh, oh my gosh, that feels like forever ago. <laughs> uh Monster Train's uh it's a deck building roguelike. I love roguelikes, guys. I just I love them. Uh, and it's you you're on a train and you're going from hell or you're 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 spreading the basically hell has frozen over and you have the last fire of hell and you're trying to like thaw all the ice while the fight the ember of hell is under attack and it's like a roguelike deck builder so you you put little like guys on the train to defend from the guys that are attacking you and it's a lot of fun it's it's a really good take on a deck builder it I personally feel like it blows Slay the Spire like out of the water. Damn. Which is yeah. It it's a sleeper hit right now. It's it's a lot of fun if you like deck builders and it it just it's got a lot going for it and I can't wait to see some more updates. If it's as good as Slay the Spire better than like that says something. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of the games that like I've been playing, uh, I've been getting a little bit into Tekken. Uh, I really want to go to local tournaments. Uh, I know that like things are probably not going to start opening up anytime soon, at least for like the tournament side of things. But I would love to start like practicing because Colorado Springs, it turns out, is like a huge mecca for Tekken. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that at all. Uh, I only really realized this when I thought about uh, the tournaments that have been to in the past, and mostly they've been like melee tournaments, but the one that I did at UCCS had Tekken on a giant screen, like the huh. biggest screen uh, at the event was was for Tekken. And, and so uh, I, I have just been getting into that a little bit more recently, and it's this really easy to sort of dive into but hard to master game where each uh, attack is uh, labeled to a different limb. So you have mm -hmm. like right arm, left arm, uh, left foot, right foot, and you have to sort of combine all of the different uh, maneuvers and often in different stances in order to uh, do combos and stuff. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've also been playing Off Peak, which was uh, just a free game that's made by the person who made Tales from Off Peak City that I played a while ago and really enjoyed. Off-peak is just, like, very similar to that. It has some pizza, too, but it's less about the delivery of it and more about just hanging out in the subway. Uh, Hell yeah. And then I've also been playing some COD Modern Warfare because that's just, like, greasy good fun. Oh, yeah, it's a staple at this point. Yeah.
So uh, we've been doing this thing where we ask questions to our listeners. And actually, the last one that we did was pretty successful. Yeah, you want to go over the answers there that we, we got some of? Well, sure. So we post uh, the question so people know. Well, last week, the question that we, we asked was uh, basically, it what real world systems could you see being turned into video games? And we received a ton of responses, actually. Uh, we made it uh, not really a requirement, but just like a little bit of a fun thing on our giveaways to an have an answer to our discussion question. And some people really went in depth with it. I was like kind of surprised and I had a lot of fun reading all the different responses that we got. Some uh, highlights, though, were uh, a funeral director simulator, which I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> the idea of having to manage a funeral house, uh, which uh, that's a little bit what like Graveyard Keeper is about. A little bit. Yeah. But th that'd be more like modern. Uh, there's also, uh, we received a lot about... Uh, communism because i think we mentioned capitalism in the question and so everyone was like well if capitalism is a system that can be turned into a game then what about communism and we totally agree uh in fact i think there was a game from like the 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 hio bundle that was all about this I, I forget the name of it i might put it in in post but the game that i was thinking of here was democratic socialism simulator it also appears to be on sale on steam for three dollars uh, tonight we riot. <laughs> well, tonight we riot. There was another one too. There was actually a couple of really good <laughs> games. I mean, it kind of is to be expected because it was the bundle for racial equality. Yeah, uh, but uh, there's also homeowners association that was suggested by uh, Sweet Cup and Cakes. Thank you so much for that. Oh, and by the way, the funeral director was uh, suggested by Canic Double O Seven. Military simulator. Wait, did you put that Which was one? really, yeah, it was really interesting. People were talking about a military simulator in the sense of, like, rising through the ranks of military, like, ranks. Oh. So you start off as enlisted, and your goal is to become a general going through, like, military ranks. Oh, so it's, like, actually, like, the, the, the systemizing of going up the ranks rather than, like, fighting a war necessarily. Exactly. That's actually kind of an interesting take. I've never thought about it like that. Huh. Okay, and then the final one here. Uh, is pandemic response and containment, uh, as well as social isolation just altogether. I actually just saw a game that popped up on Steam. It has, like, no reviews or anything, but it was called, like, Social Isolation Simulator. I just like the idea of that. Like, a little game that's just all about the, the thing that we are all undergoing right now, where we can't really leave and we have to manage our resources and, like, <laughs> and, our, yeah. and our social sanity and stuff like that. Uh... All very, very interesting and fairly game-like, actually. But we have a question for this week. Would you like to go ahead and give that question out? Yeah, our question for you all this week is, what sort of game upgrades or tools would you want to, to use in the real world? We had a lot of, like, little tools like grappling hooks and floating capes and stuff in this bundle, and it got me thinking of, like, what fictional upgrade kind of tool would i want to use in the real world so that's my question the two that always come to mind the two that like always come to mind to me are the portal gun and the gravity gun from half-life and portal those are those are really really solid ones i mean who portal gun's amazing that thing is just like iconic and fun i mean i feel like i would break my neck using it but it is really cool 
Yeah, if, if real-world physics still applied, I mean, I feel like 90% of the time you'd hit terminal velocity as soon as you jumped in at once. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so maybe something a little bit more practical than that. Well, what, what are your ideas? Um, You know, I haven't put a ton of thought into it yet. I'm thinking, oh, it's tricky. I, I'm going to ponder it, and I'll get back to you guys next week with my answer. All right, sounds good. I like that. So uh, anything else we want to cover before we wrap this one up? Uh yeah, as always, uh, as we've started doing, I want to just go over really quickly the the charity that the money from the humble choice bundle is going to this month. Because every month the charity switches, so you're not just buying games; you're you're donating to a good cause, so you can write it off on your taxes or feel morally superior to your friends because you're helping people. Uh, and this month's charity is called World Central Kitchen. And they provide food resilience programs, culinary training, and food security for places with chronic food system short challenges. So they, like, they literally go to places that are struggling to develop and maintain food, and they teach people how to cook, they teach people how to farm, they build up, like, systems so they can actually reliably produce food there, and they don't need someone to, like, constantly come in and feed them, which is really cool and that's actually really nice because so many relief programs are just like putting a band-aid on the problem instead of like giving them a fucking like fishing rod you know what i mean exactly yeah teach a man to fish and he'll be able to catch fish exactly. give a man fish and he'll be able to eat fish i don't know that's not the saying but no, whatever. That, Close I, enough. <laughs> something like that it's along those lines <laughs> um and they've been doing a lot of work because of covid right now too they're they're providing food for homeless shelters and schools and nursing homes and as as of right now they're providing over 250,000 meals a day for for different organizations and different people who are are having challenges and losing the systems of of food supply that they normally had right now because of covid so it's it's a really good charity that's keeping us all fed and happy in trying times which is mad respectable damn son all right uh, yeah, I think that's all we got. Stay alert for, like, more content coming out. I, I promise we're going to get better at streaming. I, I'm really bad at setting the dates and sticking to them, but I, I make, I'm making this promise right now to everyone who listens that I will I will be on the streams when I say I'm going to be on them from now on. <laughs> okay, so here's my thing, is that any time that I stream, I will announce it on the Twitter. I, I don't know how frequently it will be, but any time that I do, I will always announce it. And also in the Discord. So if you want to follow us and uh, watch us, then uh, it will be there. But we're definitely going to try to get better at it. We promise, because we, we love you guys. We love the community, and, and we want to bring you more stuff. Yeah, we love the interaction. Yeah, it's so much fun. You guys are amazing. You, you guys make this all worth it. Absolutely. You, you guys make playing video games worth it. Do you know that? Did you know that video games wouldn't be worth it unless there was an audience to watch it and, and applaud me for playing them? <laughs> it literally wouldn't be worth it stop appealing to my narcissism <laughs> uh free games you want to hit those up real quick so uh available right now for free on the unreal store is pathway if you wanted to go pick that one up seems pretty rad and then later on down the line they are also going to be having uh, AER Memories of Old and Stranger Things 3 the game. Oh, wow. So I'll have the, the third Stranger Things game, but not any of the others. 
Oh, and uh, Sludge Life is still free, and also Dolores, a Thimbleweed Park mini-adventure is also free right now. Oh, hell yeah. Well, that's where it's at. Make sure you pick those up, folks. Thank you so much for listening to us. Um, we also will have a link to the GameSpot article that we've had in all of our descriptions. They keep it. They keep updating it, so there's more free games you can find there, too. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, is there anything that we need to do before the music, the ominous music that is already now here? Need, is, oh, uh, mm. oh, God, is it here? Uh, uh, like, comment, subscribe, join the Discord. We're streaming on Twitch. Uh, we, we have a Patreon now, so if you want to give us money, that'd give be great. Money. Yeah, uh, I like that. We love you. Uh, all the money goes to us making new and more exciting and more re relevant and frequent content. And uh, um, uh, tweet a link to this episode for a chance to win a game from this month. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll actually do that. We will send you a thing, please. We love you all. Goodbye. I felt like I kind of found it in that episode. I'm tired. <laughs> Dude, I've had to pee for the last, like, 52 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God, really?